Good morning. Good morning. Um, it was pointed out to me last time that every time I come, I always see what a pleasure it is to be here. Because I, I, it's an honest one. I honestly enjoy being here. Today is the feast, traditionally, of Christ the King. Um, and so I want to publicly thank whoever does the web page. Because I noticed that the person take, leading the worship tonight is leading on Christ the King. So it's not that I'm going to ignore it altogether, but it did avoid me duplicating what's already going to happen this evening. So for our worship this morning, let us begin our thoughts with Psalm 139. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. There are times in our life when knowing that the Lord is with us, knowing his presence is a blessing. For we desire to know his security and his comfort. And as the psalmist says, there are sometimes when there are those around us who can challenge that. Who desire us to live in fear. So to know the Lord is there. To know his protection is encouraging. But there are other times in our lives when we are maybe ashamed. When we don't want that kind of attention. In fact, we want to be alone. We want to be isolated. And so the presence of the Lord is something we fear. As we gather this morning, we gather to worship one who desires us to be in his presence. Who desires to be with us. Who knows us, our failings and our faults, our good points and our bad. But rejoices and delights that we are here. We have nothing to fear, for he bids us all to come. And he welcomes each one of us. Let us begin by praising him in song with hymn number 101. Lord, you sometimes speak in wonders.
Let us pray. Lord of lords and King of kings, all authority, all power and majesty is yours, and yet you call us your children, and we call you our Father. We live our lives in your presence and by your Spirit. We are known and called after your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. May this morning be precious in your sight. May we be close in heart and mind and in thought and deed to you and to each other. May we know your loving kindness and be prepared to honour you with our lives, that our worship would glorify you and give you reason to rejoice and delight in us. Strengthen us, encourage us and restore us so that we in turn can bring hope to the world around us. May your kingdom be established here on earth in our lives, in our hearts, mind and soul, in deed, in action and in thought. May you guide us with wisdom and compassion, that your majesty would be evident by the care you have for your people. And it is as our Father we now come to you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. thanks to Anne and the others this morning for putting the projector up. I had prepared a PowerPoint for the children this morning and then arrived and realised I'd left my laptop at home. But that gives us opportunity to do things a bit more interactive. I wonder though, could I borrow you for a minute? I'm going to borrow several people. Now, this might seem a bit cruel, but the first slide was of someone that kind of looks a bit similar to you, is a bit older. Do you know someone called Justin Bieber? Is that cruel? Is that unfair? Do you know who he is? No, he's possibly about 10, 15 years older than you. But he also has the blonde hair swept over. You know. But apart from that, I'm sure you have nothing else in common. Now, if you stand there, stay for a minute. Now, when, I, when you see Justin Bieber go down the street, whenever you see him walk, there's a big guy who's bigger than me. And wherever, so if you just walk, and so can you walk up and down a bit? Do you want to walk along? And so this guy's always walking along wherever Justin Bieber goes. Okay, thank you. Why do you think Justin Bieber has this big burly guy following him wherever he goes? Hmm? His minder. Yeah, not his childminder, as some of us might think, but his yeah, his bodyguard. No, anyone here a fan of Justin Bieber? We will pray for you after. No, um, anyone who's girls, could you pretend to be Justin Bieber fans? <laughs> okay, so. If you walk up and down, can you just come and try and talk to Justin Bieber? No. You walk up and down. Can you carry on walking around? They're going to try and come near you. But I'm... No, no. And as they go up, and 
No, 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 no. No, no, just turn around. Oh. And so this bodyguard, thank you very much, King of Spanish. Every time someone tries to get near Justin Bieber, can you, you can go and sit down now? Thank you very much. Every time someone tries to get near Justin Bieber, they can't. This bodyguard's there. And if you're a photographer, then it's hands-on and you might lose your camera. Now, that's just Justin Bieber. Anyone fancy being Barack Obama? Oh, you want to be Barack Obama? No. Okay. Go on. Do you want to stand here? Now, I saw a picture of Barack Obama walking down a main street. Now, you stand here. Now, because it's Barack Obama, we don't need one bodyguard. So, girls, can we all come up? Now, in the photo, you had to look closely. So, do you want someone to stand in front of him? Someone stand next to him? Do you want to come up again and stand behind him? And someone else, does someone else want to come up as well? And so, this is Barack Obama walking down a main street. Okay. So, as you walk, can, can, we, can we still see him? No. And this is how Barack Obama must see the world, surrounded by all his bodyguards. Because everywhere he goes, there's a whole army of people walk with him. And of course, then there's the people hidden away that can't see him. Okay, now, whilst you're up here, can you form a line? Thank you. Just, that's it. No, no. That's it. Almost facing the way. Because we don't have Barack Obama, we don't have presidents, but we do have a queen. Okay, now, quick question. How many bodyguards do you think the queen has? Lots. I think that's fair to say. She has the household cavalry. She has the Queen's own Highlanders and so on. So all these people in the forces actually swear allegiance to the Queen still. And then she has all the police bodyguards and everyone else. Now, you can go and talk to the Queen. Unlike with Justin Bieber, where the bodyguards will just force you out of the way, she does occasionally meet people. But you can only talk to the Queen if she talks to you. There are a number of rules. So can we stand like this, as if we're ready to meet the Queen... Because a number of years ago, I did a private garden party when I was a student, quite a few years ago now. And I, you have to get all the rules beforehand. You don't talk to the Queen unless the Queen talks to you. I made the mistake of looking her in the face and realised that I was now in a staring competition with the Queen and that wasn't the thing to do. Um, you must say ma'am instead of spam. Okay? Ma'am that rounds with spam as opposed to ma'am and all these other things. So somebody... Uh, do you know all the children's names? So somebody will go in front and introduce the Queen to each person. But that person only gets to talk to the Queen if the Queen talks to them. Okay. This is Carl. Hello, Carl. You may bow. Thank you. Thank you. This is, this is Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hello. And this is Freya. Oh. Very good, Freya. Thank you. This is Fergus. Hello, Fergus. Hello, Rory. Thank you. And that's the total sum of the cup. Unless the Queen decides to have a conversation with you, you can't have a conversation with her. Now, we're here to worship Christ the King. How many bodyguards does Christ the King have? Yes? Zero. Are we sure about that? Yeah? Are we as bodyguards? Well, let's have a think. Do you know, I've asked these people before, do you know what the most common answer to when I ask how many bodyguards does Jesus have? What do you think the most common answer is? Twelve. Everyone seems to think the apostles were like his bodyguards. And so did they. They thought their job was to keep people away from Jesus. And so we read in Mark 10 that one day people were trying to bring, pe- trying to bring their children up to Jesus. And the bodyguards were like Justin Bieber's bodyguard. They were all doing, no, keep back, keep back. Because Jesus is too important to have people coming up to him. What did Jesus do? He let them come. And he told his apostles off. He says, no. Let the children come to me. And he took them up and he blessed them. See, the God that we worship, the Christ, the King that we worship, is far more important than Justin Bieber and Barack Obama and the Queen. But unlike them, he desires to actually have you come to him. And he desires to come to you. And he loves to see you and be with you. Okay? Thank you. Thanks so much. Shall we pray before we sing? Lord, you bid the children to come to you and you bless them. May you hold each child here today close to you and bless them. May you meet with them in their class and, grow, and help them, Lord, to grow in wisdom, stature and obedience, just as you did when you were here on this earth. Amen. Let us now sing number 568, Colours of Day.
This morning's reading is Genesis chapter 4. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mahujal. Mahujal was the father of Methusel, and Methusel was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal, who was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the harp and flute. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Neymar. Lamach said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At this time, men began to call on the name of the Lord.
Have you ever felt left out? You know, whatever's going on, you're not included. We often laugh and think about those days when we were at school. And they were picking, you know, you're in the playground and they're picking teams. And it always became between you and one other person to get picked. And of course, it was always made worse when one of the captains said, that's fine, you can have both of them. You know? We can laugh about that because, not to trivialize it, it was a long time ago. It can be a real pain when it happens to you as an adult, though. When you find, for some reason, to get noticed, to get the same amount of attention, you have to do twice as much as everyone else. You know, that you're at work, one of your colleagues is getting all the praise, the name mentioned, because what they've just done is fantastic. And what they've just done is exactly what you've been telling everyone you needed to do for the last three years. But for some reason, when this individual mentions it, it's fantastic. But nobody was listening to you. Of course, I need to be very careful when I say it's a bit painful in families when you have that one cousin or brother or sister who is always the golden child. You know, as a child, they never got into trouble. You, on the other hand, needed to work hard to be shown that you could do good. And why is it, why is it that I'm being picked on but You seem to ignore what they're doing. And even as adults, you sometimes think, why do I have to do twice as much before someone will say to me, oh, well done, or even notice? I wonder if that's what Cain felt like. There's Cain, the older son. For some reason, as we know, older children always have all the expectations placed upon them. And the younger child is just spoilt and everyone accepts what they do. I am an older child. I'm not saying anything about that. (laughs) But you can almost imagine the scenario. Adam, Adam, sorry, Abel goes along and makes his sacrifice. And God rejoices in it. He accepts it. Cain makes a sacrifice and it's not good enough. And we're not told why. And we can come to all sorts of really dangerous conclusions as to why God didn't accept Cain's offering. There are some that are often sometimes muted. But they don't necessarily hold up. Was it because Abel made a sacrifice of a lamb? And because we call Jesus the Lamb of God, therefore it foreshadowed the crucifixion. Whereas Cain's sacrifice was of wheat. And let's be honest, you can't really sacrifice much wheat. Well, no. If we went into Leviticus, you'd see that a grain offering was as much a part of the worship service as a sacrifice of a lamb. Was it because Abel sacrificed of the first fruits, whereas Cain just sacrificed some of his crop? Well, I would challenge you to go into any field when you see a field of wheat and tell anyone what is the first fruit of that field. You, can, you know when a lamb was the firstborn. You can see when a lamb was the best. But maybe I'm just uneducated. When I see a field of wheat, I see a field of wheat. If someone said to me, what's the first fruits of that field of wheat? I wouldn't have an idea. It is curious that they are making sacrifices. The first religious act that we read of in the Bible is one of sacrifice. We don't know why they're making the sacrifices, whether it was out of repentance, praise, worship, intercession. All we know is that they are making sacrifices. So we're left with some other difficult suggestions. Is it because God just has favorites? He liked Abel and he didn't like Cain. It's a horrible idea. But it gets muted. Maybe Abel cared more and Cain didn't. Well, if Cain didn't care, why did he get so angry? If anything, this text proves that Cain cared very much. Because if his sacrifice had been hadn't been if his sacrifice wasn't acceptable and God didn't receive it, Cain wouldn't have bothered in the first place. But he got very angry about it, so he did care. Well, does God have favourites? It's a dangerous thought to have. It's one that Christians do have at times. 
I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that position where you're at the meeting and someone's saying, isn't it great that God's answering my prayers and how he's doing this for me and he's doing that for me and you're sat there and your life is just miserable. And you kind of feel that whatever I pray or whatever I say, you don't feel like God's listening to you. Maybe you've never allowed yourself to think that and you've been the person who's been sharing these wonderful blessings saying, it's great, God's really provided for me when I need it and such. And someone has just snapped back at you and said, well, it's nice for you, but what about me? It's a difficult question. Why is it some people seem to have their prayers answered and others don't? Why is it that Abel's sacrifice was acceptable and Cain's wasn't? In some ways, it's a dangerous question to ask because the answer isn't a simple one. But something that I think needs to be said up front is that we don't fall into the trap that Cain did. Because Cain obviously thought Abel was the problem. That's why he wanted to kill him. It suggests that somehow there is a limit to God's love. That God can only love so many people at any point. That he can only answer so many prayers at any point. So therefore, if we reduce the number of people that God's caring about, then I'll come higher up on the list. That's not true. There is no limit to God's love. There is no limit to God's power and his ability to answer prayer. So although I may not be able to answer the questions as to why does sometimes God act and sometimes he doesn't, it is never because he is not able. It is never because he's been restricted. And we need to know that. Because one of the most amazing things about a relationship with God is when we remember those precious moments where it is as if we have God's complete attention. He hears our every word. We hear him clearly through the scriptures or as he speaks to us. He answers our very prayer and life is just going from one blessing to blessing. That whilst we're going through those times, he's like that with so many others. It is something that only God can do. We should never be jealous of another person's relationship with God. We are each precious and we are each loved. But that doesn't answer the question necessarily this morning as to why was Cain's sacrifice not accepted? Well, if we start on today when we think of Christ the King and we talk of sovereignty, then God is free to choose as he wants. And if he says something has to be done a certain way, then it must be done that way. And if you don't do it that way, then he, there's no, he has no obligation to like it or not. But if there's something clear in this passage this morning, is it's just how much God cared for Cain. God's love for Cain becomes evident when we remember God's love as a loving father. There is a danger that we can think this is the sovereign Lord exercising his majesty, his power and his authority. But let's reconsider his first words to Cain. Why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? God's relationship with Cain is one of communication. Cain is in a relationship with God. They are speaking to each other. Cain would have been shown how to do sacrifices from someone. And God's first words to Cain are of concern, of care. God knows what's going on in Cain's heart, but he desires Cain to open his heart up to him. He's desiring Cain to see for himself what's going on in his heart and answer the question, why are you upset? This was a chance for Cain to confess, a chance for Cain to release whatever it was that was making him so angry in the first place. God cares. He says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. God cares for Cain. But it doesn't mean he has to accept everything that Cain does. See, I know not everyone here is parents. 
and not everyone here has dealings with children. But you may understand that if you've ever listened to parents speaking, if you don't have children of your own, they will talk about the most nonsense thing and seem so proud of what their child has done. We have some absolute junk lying around the house at the moment. I can say that. But it's not getting thrown out. It's not going anywhere because Sarah did it. Sarah's too. Her paintings kind of look like something, but that something will retain, remain an eternal mystery. And if we asked her, then we can guess what it means. And she occasionally sticks things together. And, does, and what Sarah does, we think, is wonderful. And many parents are like the same with their children. As a parent, I'm also wise enough not to bore you with them or to present them and expect you all to say the same. We love our children. But if we thought everything they did was okay, could we really say we still love them? Those moments when she smacks someone, those moments when she refuses to eat her dinner or throws a tantrum. I know she never sounds like she'd ever do any of those things. But also, as, the children, as your children go older, they start mixing with people that you think, I really wish they wouldn't necessarily be friends with that person. They start to dress a certain way and want to work, watch certain films and go to certain places. And as parents, you sound like you're being overprotective. And they say, what's wrong? Why can't I dress like this? Why can't I do that? Because your fear is, if you start doing these things, it might lead somewhere else. There was a time a number of years ago when baseball hats were the rage. And as a teacher at school, we actually I almost caught myself and I said, don't wear a baseball hat, it will get you excluded. And it didn't. But for some reason, the, the, the pupils that came to school that wore baseball hats always ended up hanging around together and when they hung around together, they became a little gang. And in that gang, they got up to no good. When they got up to no good, they didn't know when to stop, and they ended up getting excluded. And it all started with the wearing of a baseball hat. Now, that might be a bit extreme. But we have this fear for our own children. We have this fear for people that we love. If you go down here, it might lead on somewhere. It might go somewhere that isn't a good place. Because they can turn around to say, well, what's wrong with going to this part of town? What's wrong with this person? What's wrong with my clothes? What's wrong with that film or this book? And on its own, you can find it very difficult to justify yourself because you just sound like you're paranoid or scared. And to a certain level, you are. We all do. We fear for those that we care about because we are always scared of where it might lead. If we as human beings have that nature to care for people to the extent that we want to protect them and keep them safe, which sometimes means trying to restrict them in some way or getting them to realize things for themselves, how much more do we think God acts and behaves? Because he could see, God could see what was on Cain's heart. This is before he's killed Abel. This is just when he's angry, when he's downcast. But he knew where it could lead. He knew what might happen if Cain didn't recognize it now. And he says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Cain was angry. He was upset. He wasn't behaving rightly. But it came because of things he was holding on to tightly inside of himself. And God knew this. In many ways, this is God as counsellor. Cain, open up to me. Let go. You're going to have to work hard at this. Because God knew that if Cain didn't deal with the issues in his heart and in his mind, that he would destroy his relationship with his brother, which it did, and it would destroy his relationship with God. And it destroyed his relationship with the land about him. Cain became unsettled. He never found peace again. He spent the rest of his days as a wanderer. He spent the rest of the days, someone who had been a farmer, as someone who could no longer farm. He lost not somewhere to live, but he lost that peace, that home, that place where you feel secure and confident. See, God's care was for Cain. 
of the reasons we're giving for why sacrifices, why acts of worship are sometimes not acceptable, there is one theme that comes all the way through Scripture. In the Psalms, you do not delight in sacrifice, so I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, but God you will not despise. Hosea, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. God does something very bizarre with Cain that he didn't do for Abel, which is worth pondering about. Because Cain felt, it said, this punishment is too much for me. I'm going to spend the rest of my life wandering. And if I meet anyone, they are going to kill me because they now will see me as cursed of God. And God puts a sign of protection upon him to preserve his life, to keep him safe. You could ask yourself the question, and you can meditate on it later. Why didn't he do that for Abel in the first place? We wouldn't have been in this situation. It's because God desired to see Cain repent. We read earlier on, it is not possible to go out of the presence of God, but it is possible to live in a way that you are disconnected to everything around about you because of what's going on inside that makes you so black and so hard. But then why don't people repent? Why don't people ever turn around and say, I'm sorry? We read in Jude... Well, Jude raises up three different people when he talks about people that were stubborn enough to believe that their own ways were the right ways. One is Balaam, who was the man that had the donkey that spoke. The other one is Korah, who insisted that he could be like Moses. And the other is Cain. But this we return to the love of God. Cain's issue was that If God's going to love me, he's going to love me for who I am. Therefore, he's going to love everything I do. He's going to find everything I do acceptable. And everything I do is okay. It's a very subtle difference. And I don't know how many of you have had arguments with your children or with other members of the family. And they've come out with those words. But if you loved me, you would let me do this. If you really loved me for who I was, you wouldn't be trying to change me. You would recognize that this is really who I am. We do have God's sovereignty here. That yes, God can decide what is right or wrong. But in some ways, let's return to our earlier thought. That if God knows where a certain heart attitude is going to lead us, where certain actions are going to lead us, and his knowledge is greater than ours, there are going to be times in our lives when he is not pleased with what we do and we are going to have to repent and change our heart and change our mind and accept that no matter how much I desire to do this in my life, no matter how much I wanted to do X, Y, and Z, no matter how much I think this is the person I really want to be, it's not pleasing God. And we're left sometimes with, like Cain, thinking, but I don't know why. And then it becomes a matter of faith. Do I trust God enough to know that he wants the best for me? And he's giving me time to repent and recognize God as God. But realize that his actions are out of love and care for me. Or am I just stubborn enough to say that God's wrong? That actually I'm going to prove God wrong and I'm going to do what I want to do. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to be happy. And that's what's most important. Completely unaware that how our actions sometimes hurt others. Break up our relationship with our family. Break up our relationship with those around us. And although we might directly might not be damaged, we don't realize just how much it's hurt others. The pain, the damage that God was trying to stop happening in the first place. See, if God was wanting to take authority over us, he could just control us, but he doesn't. He let Cain live for an entire life so that he could change when Cain was ready, when Cain wanted to, 
This kind of patience requires far greater patience than I know I have. I've shown patience to many people, but there has always come that point when I've decided enough is enough. Now you're going to listen to me, and I'm going to tell you exactly how it is. If I'm honest, of all those occasions that that has happened, I can't honestly say that it's ever done any good. And it usually very quickly undoes all the patience that you have shown over that time. God's patience with Cain, his love for Cain, his desire for Cain to do good is evident when we consider these things. But what about Abel? Was Abel so good? Was Abel such a righteous person that God had no issues with his lifestyle? That everything Abel did was good? Well, if that was the case, there would be no need for Christ to have come. Because in Abel, we would have had the perfect human being. Abel was a sinner too. Abel also had a bad heart attitude at times. Abel would have also at times lost his temper. He would have also done things that were wrong. Abel, like the rest of us, would have been a sinner. But we are told that Abel's sacrifice was one of faith. It is a sacrifice in which you, not do, you do not sacrifice because you are trying to get God to love you. You are sacrificing because God loves you. When we worship God, it is not in the desire that God would forgive us. We worship God because God has forgiven us. As we gather as Christians, we gather because of the one and only sacrifice we believe that really counted. If we feel that we need to make sacrifices on top of that, it's like it wasn't enough. It stops being an act of faith. That somehow I need to do more to get God to love me. I need to do more to get God to listen. I need to do more so that he'll answer my prayers. At that point, it stops being an act of faith. It starts being a work. We're trying to manipulate God. It can sometimes be painful when you see people trying to do things to get people to love them. Can you imagine how hurtful it is if your own children started to behave in such a way? If a child said to you, if I wash the dishes, would you love me? If I did the hoovering, would you love me? You know that you love your children. They don't need to do anything for you for that to happen. And our desire is that our children know that without having to prove it. And it stops being a deed and starts being an act of faith, an act of trust. We gather here because of the one sacrifice that was made. And we are asked by faith to accept that. Not necessarily to understand it, but to accept it. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross, we can claim no credit for, because it happened before all of us was born. But all of us benefit from. But to each one of us, God can say the same, that sin is always crouching at the door. It desires to master us. But our response, seek that which is good. Leave that which destroys. Do that which encourages life. Leave that which would bring death. But ultimately, sin would seek to master us all. But by the blood of Christ and the power of his spirit in our lives, we have overcome it.
Let us pray. Father, we come before thee to ask for thy help and guidance. As we have heard so many sad things in the past week, we would ask thee to comfort all those who mourn. We also pray for those who have had tragedies in recent times, the people of Nepal, Tunisia, Egypt and Russia. As we see flowers and candles laid in respect for those who have gone and see vigils being held all over the world, this gives us hope. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal hope. Amen. Father, we thank you for your continual blessings, for your grace, for your forgiveness, for your generosity in our lives, physically and spiritually. We pray for the financial gift, Lord, this morning, that you would bless it and you would use it for your purpose, to serve your desire for this area, for here in Hillhead. May you give wisdom and guidance to those who have been charged with governing this. Lord, it is a blessing to be in a position to be able to give. Thank you. Amen. Let us sing hymn number 583. We are called to be God's people.
King of kings and Lord of lords rule in our hearts, mind and soul. May we call ourselves blessed to be known by him and recognized as his. May his sign be upon us and his spirit within us. To strengthen us that we may bring strength. To heal us that we may bring healing. To light our path so that we can bring light and to give us hope that we may bring the hope of Christ and his return into this world of the world to come and life everlasting.